It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. Good evening, North Carolina, and thank you for joining us once again on Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Linda Lewis. And this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And tonight we are, again, approaching uh, milestones in people's planning for financial planning. And I thought, Doug and Linda, that since we are certified financial planners doing comprehensive financial planning, that we would um, give some ideas of some frequently asked questions regarding financial planning. Yeah, a lot of people confuse what we do with uh, plain investment programs. But no, we do comprehensive financial planning, which covers much, much more than investments. However, you may have investment questions like should you be in stocks, bonds, REITs, mutual funds, ETFs, or how should your 401k be positioned based on your available investment choices? Or how do you roll over your 401k or 403b or other retirement plan and where should you put it? Or how should your overall portfolio be balanced? How much in stocks or bonds or REITs or mutual funds? What investment vehicles should you currently be invested in based on your current age, risk tolerance, retirement goals, etc.? Or how do you prepare for college funding with your investments? Or how do you prepare for financial independence? Or should you pick the annuity payout option from your pension at retirement or take the lump sum option? So those are investment type questions, but... We also get a lot of cash flow questions. How should you invest any surplus money from your paycheck monthly? Or how do you create a budget? Or what is the difference between your discretionary expenses, your non-discretionary expenses, and your regular monthly expenses? And we also cover questions about your insurance, like how do you know if your insurance coverage is adequate, too much or too little? Or what type of insurance should you have? Or how much will your wife need to pay her monthly expenses if you die? What's the difference between term, whole life, universal, and second-to-die insurance? Do you need long-term care insurance? Do you need disability insurance? And of course, we also cover tax questions, like is there any way that you can avoid or reduce the alternative minimum tax, the AMT? Or can you use a charitable trust to sell real estate or investments tax-free? Are there any investment vehicles that can reduce your tax burden? Or should your business be a S-Corp, C-Corp, LLC, or sole proprietorship? 
Are you paying enough or too much in quarterly taxes? And lastly, we do answer estate questions like, do you need a revocable living trust and a credit shelter trust? Do you have a will? How can you reduce your estate tax liability? And what about probate costs? So if you have any of those questions, if they're on your mind tonight, call us tonight. We are here to answer any of your questions at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Well, Doug, Deborah, historical highs happened this week in the market. (laughs) There certainly was a uh, financial history-making mile marker. Yeah, there is no doubt about it. The Dow Jones Industrial Average did go ahead and have a record time crossing the 20,000 mark. Now, the Dow Jones did slip Friday, but still posted its best week since early December after topping the 20,000 for the first time. A busy schedule of corporate earnings coincided with President Trump's first week in office with shares of manufacturers and miners leading the indexes higher. Material shares led gains in this S&P 500 after Mr. Trump moved in to cut res- uh, regulation and to promote infrastructure projects. It was the sector's biggest jump since election week. The Dow Jones did slip seven points on Friday, but still ended the week up 1.3%. And again, all indications right now are still very positive. Well, Doug, Deborah, very interesting article in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, What should one do as stocks pass this mile marker? Well, that is the big question. With the Dow Jones Industrial Average crossing this $20,000 milestone, many investors are asking, should I take money off the table? Is it too late to get in? How much further can the stocks rise? The simple answer is that many experts give us is that most investors should do little or nothing in light of the 20000 or any market milestone. Yeah, provided an investor has a well-diversified investment portfolio, the best move may basically be to do nothing. Still, the moment is a reminder to engage in some basic but often neglected moves that typically enhance returns over time. For example, it is a good time to periodically shift money from different asset classes that have appreciated into ones that have been laggards to restore a proper portfolio target mix. This is what we call rebalancing at Lewis Financial Management, and this is what we do on a regular basis for all of our clients. But I would say there are a few things that you can think about. What if your question is, I've missed much of the rise to the 20000 Should I invest now? Linda, what would you suggest? Well, the short answer is yes. Provided the goal you are saving for is at least a few years away. So to figure out how much money that you should allocate to stocks, investors should ideally have a financial plan that takes into consideration uh, their age, their goals, their investment horizon, and their emotional capacity to ride out the market's ups and downs. Yeah, consider your investment horizon and the return that you will need to reach your savings goals because that is going to be crucial. And that's where we begin when we have clients in our office. You know, that's what we do at Lewis Financial Management. We help our clients produce a financial plan. We produce it for them based on wherever they are in their financial world. We gather all that data and then we take into consideration what age and stage of life they're in, 
what goals they've set for themselves. Some people just work so hard and they don't think about goals. But, you know, with the new year, it's always great to have goals. Some people have goals for weight loss. (laughs) Others have goals for, you know, college funding. Whatever those goals are, we want to help you establish what goals you should have for your life, right? That's right. And another question that might be on your mind is, should you use this milestone moment as an opportunity to sell stocks because things have gone up in value? Doug, what would you say? Well, the short answer is that it depends on how close you are to retirement or to your goal, as Linda said. Investors with a financial plan should ignore stock valuations and simply stick with their plan with their goals. Now, is there anything else that you should do with the Dow moving past 20,000? Yes, you may consider harvesting losses. Sometimes it makes a lot of sense to do tax loss harvesting after uh, there's been a rally. To reduce or erase your tax bill, you could start selling underwater holdings in taxable accounts. Of course, what you do in a tax-free or tax-deferred account like an IRA, uh, that's meaningful. But capturing some of those losses may be something that you do. Do you have a question tonight about your own financial planning, your own financial goals? Call the Lewises tonight. We're live for the next hour. 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Well, this milestone and others that will be coming in the future shouldn't cause you any concern or any questions with a financial plan that you'll know what is best for you. So if you've got questions about your situation at Lewis Financial Management, LLC, we've been in practice for 33 years. We've been helping people like you. Call us at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we'll set up an appointment with you to address your financial planning concerns. Well, you know, with all this change in the market and this uncertainty with a new um, a new government in place and new things on the mind, it might make you think that uh, you might be looking at uh, what other people are doing. And at that point, you need to be careful because surveys show that investors are feeling sharply more optimistic. And that's fine. Go ahead, bask in it and feel good with that feeling. But... You need to also be aware that the confidence of others can influence your decisions even more than your own experience can. Yeah, investors need to be even more vigilant than usual against the risk of getting stampeded by other people's emotions. You know, uh, I heard somebody say that we are biologically equipped with the potential to allow more confident people to have greater sway over our own beliefs. Hmm. And this sensitivity to cues from other people about how sure things are can operate independently of learning from your own firsthand experience. And confident investors suddenly seem to be everywhere you look. Okay, so we better be careful. The rally has made everyone who's invested in the market more optimistic. And that confidence varies, often 
after the market rises, everyone's overconfident. And then it falls after the market falls. The confidence of individual investors rose 4% in July 2008, for instance, right before the market got sucked into the black hole of the financial crisis. And then conversely, in late 2012 and early 2013, the confidence of individual investors uh, declined. And that was in spite of the S&P 500 gaining 32% in 2013. So we can't trust our emotions. No. You could visualize the stock market as some sort of poltergeist or hobgoblin who takes a twisted delight in playing pranks on the expectations of the investing public. The bull market for stocks is indeed 94 months old, making it the second longest in modern history. But now more than ever, you should take extra risk only because your own rigorous analysis leads you to conclude that it's a good idea, not because other people think that it is. This and, and many of these things that we're going to see to come are the emotions of others, of ourselves, of the general public, and they can all make us behave unwisely. But the only real success that you will appreciate is achieving your own financial goals. You want to know when you are, will be financially independent. You want to know when you can retire. You want to know that you won't outlive your money. These aren't emotionally driven these are goals, and these are measurable and achievable. So call us tonight at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Ask your question tonight. Before we uh, proceed, I thought I might remind our listeners to go to our website. That's DougAndLinda.com. DougAndLinda.com. Uh, and, of course, as Linda said earlier, if you would like to have a face-to-face -face financial planning consultation with us, as we have been doing for over 30-some years, dial our office number. That's 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. And we will meet with you. You know, Doug, Deborah, the, uh, this certainly is a volatile time with a new year, a new administration, and new scenarios happen. But one thing is certain. People are out there still working day by day. People are still taking care of their families and their children. Some of you, our listeners, may be taking care of ailing parents or special needs children. The situations are all different. Plus or minus a few zeros, people still need advice every day, every month, every year. They need advice. They need direction. And that's what we do at Lewis Financial Management. And uh, one of the situations is as people grow older, they accumulate. And they accumulate assets that they need to support them as their life goes on. But, Doug, there's an, and Deborah, there's... Uh, there's a very interesting scenario that uh, I would like to talk about All in right. estate and tax planning. Go ahead. Well, some folks do accumulate, and let's review a case study. Okay. So, um, let's review the Martha Cole 
case study. Oh, that's a good one. Martha Cole, who was 85 and a widow, and her late husband, Frank, who had worked very hard, but they had lived very modestly, had produced um, a situation where now Martha's assets included an IRA valued at a million dollars. And a securities portfolio that was after tax, a personal portfolio, valued at $2.5 million. Martha's sole heir was her three-time married, <laughs> thrice-married daughter, Jane, who was currently age 65. And Martha was concerned about Jane and her third husband's ability to preserve their inheritance if they had ready access to the IRA balance after Martha's death. All right. So let's look at the facts. Okay. What are the facts? Uh, Martha's 85. She's a widow. And over her lifetime, she and her husband accumulated an IRA that is worth a million dollars. And then she had a personal portfolio of two and a half million. And of course, just one heir, her daughter, who was 65 and who had been married three times. How old's the daughter? 65. Okay. All right. So I guess our, our, our next point should be, well, what was Martha's goal? Well, Martha's goal is to... I guess just allow, simply to provide Jane with an income stream for life. Exactly. Allow whatever, you know, that she has owned to go to her daughter Jane to provide cash flow to Jane at That's her right. death. But she's concerned about some things. And her, what she's concerned about is that Jane might spend it all. Jane might get divorced. So we have to come up with a solution. Doug, what was our... Lewis Financial Management Solution. All right, so she had a million-dollar IRA. Is that what you said? She did. And her goal was to have that million-dollar IRA produce income to her only heir, uh-huh. who's Jane, who's 65, right. for her life. Well, of course, she's right away she's got these other concerns, uh, the fact that Jane's been married three times. Uh, she's also concerned about taxes. If she just gives the IRA to her daughter, then there's going to be about $460,000 of taxes on that million-dollar IRA. Right, right. Uh, if she dies, same problem, another $460,000 tax hit before the IRA goes to her daughter. So I would say what we would do is we will go ahead and design a CRT, a Charitable Remainder Trust for Jane as the beneficiary of the IRA. So we will change the beneficiary from Jane to a charitable trust for Jane. That's the first thing we will do. Okay. Then we will also... So you're saying that at Martha's death, the IRA is going to go to the charitable remainder trust... To pay Jane for her life. To pay the daughter Jane for Jane's life. That's right. Okay. Immediately, there's no tax. That wow. means save that $460,000 of taxes. The whole million right. dollar so IRA. So the whole million dollar IRA is now available to pay out to her daughter, Jane. All right. But then we have this other question. It's going to pay out to Jane, but what keeps Jane from assigning part of that income that she's getting from life to uh, her husband or if she divorces or if something happens, we're going to build a spendthrift trust onto that charitable trust that only lets income come out to Jane. Okay. So she doesn't have the principal to go ahead and assign to anybody else. 
All right. All right. Now, we have some assumptions here. I'm going to assume <clears throat> that the investments in the charitable trust are going to grow at 8%, and I'm going to assume that we put a 7% payout on that charitable trust to the daughter, Jane. What's going to happen there is very beautiful. Jane, over her lifetime, is going to get $1.3 million. And at Jane's death, about $1.2 million is going to go to a charitable foundation. So you're saying that inside this charitable remainder trust will be enough income to over Jane, the daughter's lifetime, be able to pay her a million three hundred plus or minus, and still at the end of Jane's life, the daughter, there'll still be a remaining $1.1 million to give away to charity. Or to put into a family foundation to benefit Jane's mother, Martha, for perpetual. Perpetuity. In her her Mm -hmm. name. And to give her, that'd be wonderful. Yes. Okay, so... How do you like them apples? <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a very sophisticated strategy that experts can assist any folks that may be listening this evening that have appreciate, appreciated assets and have accumulated a million or more in IRAs, a million and more in that's right. Because this Investment. scenario is not unusual. It's not partic- it's not particularly uh, special or unique. Many of us will accumulate a million dollar IRA and be able to, and then at the by the end of our lives and we'll have to name either one or many people as beneficiaries. We have a lot of listeners lot at that of, age that absolutely. Have, who have elderly children and they're facing this huge problem. And many will be concerned with the recipient's ability to do more than just handle an income stream. So you solve a lot of problems by talking to Lewis Financial Management. If this is your scenario, give us a call. Do you have a question about your IRA or personal portfolio? Call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. This is definitely... All right, Doug, let's take another call. Quint, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> I, uh, a friend of mine, a widow in her 70s, is selling a few acres of land, or only a state that she has except for her house, uh, for about 150000 I'm just wondering, is there a way for her to avoid or defer the huge tax bite that receiving uh, large payments or full payment would create? Is, uh, for example, a, is there a trust of some sort that could be established Yes, there is. Tell me a little bit more, Quint, about the specifics, and I'll tell you how to do it. Uh, you can avoid all taxes on sale of real estate if you play the game right. Mm-hmm. How old is she? Uh, she's just past 70. She's 70 years old. Is she married? Or You say she, she's, she's a widow? A widow, widow, yeah. She's a widow. Does she have children? Uh, grown sons and uh, uh, 40, 35, 40 years old. All right. What's the size of her estate? Uh in, that, uh, in addition to this... Uh, yes, her total estate. Oh, probably 225 something like that, 250 About a $250,000 total estate. Inclu- yes, including In- the land that's about to be sold. Right. Now, this land, you say the land is worth $150,000? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not her residence? That's correct. All right. And how much is the basis, the tax basis in the property? In other words, what'd she pay for it originally? 
goodness, she and her husband bought it back in the late 40s and uh, probably didn't pay more than five or 6000 for it. All right. So we'll assume almost the entire $150,000 is going to be capital gains. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's take a look at this and see what we can do. Right. She can establish what's called a charitable trust. It's a double trust strategy that Linda and I have done for a number of clients in the last couple of years. Uh, and it works like this, Quint. She established, first of all, how's her health? Uh, very good. Well, that's another plus. Mm-hmm. Last question before I give you the answer is, what does she want ultimately after her death to happen to her estate? Uh, probably to uh, leave it for the use of her two sons. All right. Uh, just to leave a, an estate for them. Okay. Their care. Uh, both of them, uh, neither of them are wealthy. Uh, that's correct. They're not. Okay. All right. And her income, by the way, does she, can she, she, what is her income level right now? Uh, It's not very high. She, uh, she works part time as a licensed practical nurse, uh, two or three nights a week. And uh, then she has social security and uh, a little uh, income from. uh, So really, the reason that she's selling this property is to get some income for herself? No, it's really to, uh, to convert it to, uh, uh, to, uh, cash for investment or or for uh, to build an estate. Well, what I'm saying is, if she, it, it, I think we're saying the same thing. If she sells it, she wants to get it converted so it's producing income. Well, yes. Uh-huh. Moving it from an illiquid, non-income producing right. asset to an income producing yeah, asset. Yeah, I guess that's that's true. Yes. All right. If she sets up a charitable trust and transfers the ownership of this property into the charitable trust and still retains herself as the trustee of this trust, then she as trustee sells the property mm-hmm. for the $150,000. She has she pays no capital gains tax whatsoever. The entire 150000 is available to her for her to invest. Mm-hmm. Now, the key to this thing is, well, there are three keys. First of all, if she wants to make sure that the asset or the value of that asset, that 150000 is going to go to her children after she dies. Mm-hmm. Then she has to set up a second trust or some sort of replacement strategy. Mm-hmm. Because in doing a charitable trust, she is agreeing after her death to give what's left of the asset to a charity. Oh, uh-huh. But to keep the income portion herself during her lifetime. Mm-hmm. So I... You know, if she goes ahead and actually lives uh, for 20 years, for example, then she would actually have, uh, you know, over a quarter of a million dollars of income coming out of this trust. But on the other hand, the principal, what's in the trust, will go to a charity after her death. Yeah, right. That's why Uncle Sam will let her go ahead and sell it and not pay taxes, Mm -hmm. even though the gift is going to be a deferred gift at some point in the future. Right. The way we solve that problem, and I have some clients who don't care about that. They're really looking just to increase their own income for their lifetime. They may not care. They may not have children and so on. Mm-hmm. They just want to increase their income, and they also want to go ahead and avoid capital gains taxes. Right. The second trust, however, is to put up an insurance trust, which we call a wealth replacement trust. Let's say $150,000 wealth replacement we buy it. We 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 buy a hundred and fifty thousand dollar life insurance policy. We get the cheapest one we can, and that pays at her death to her children. Mm-hmm. So now during her lifetime, she's avoided all of the fifty three thousand dollars of taxes on sale of the property. 
she gets 50% more income, and at her death, what's left in the charitable trust goes to the university or the Salvation Army or even a charitable foundation in her name, and then what's left over there in the insurance trust, that goes to her children. Uh-huh. And of course, where does the premium come from to pay for the insurance? From part of the cash flow from the first trust. And the whole key is, when you do one of these double trusts, she should always be the trustee. Yeah. Never give up control. Right, yeah. If you would like to go ahead and have her call my office, I will go ahead and schedule an appointment. Linda can schedule an appointment to get together with her and explore the uh, um, what she can do, because we have done a number of these. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, and that's the joy of, of, of using the strategy. Is that because you've got this piece of property that's appreciated in value since she first, you know, bought it, Uh that uh, you can have a tax problem down the road Uh when when things are final and it passes to the other party. Right. And Uncle Sam will be right there with his hand out. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but if you'll call the office, um, our number here in Raleigh is eight seven two seven thousand, eight seven two seven thousand. Okay. And uh, we'll be happy to do what we can to uh, help her and you, if we can. Okay. Well, look, uh, you've, you've uh, devoted a, uh, quite a response here, and I appreciate it. Thank you okay, very much. Okay, and thanks for Thank calling. Thank you, Quinn. Mm-hmm. You bet. Do you have a question about your taxes? Call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. You know, <clears throat> Quint's question and before Quint, the, uh, the Martha Cole story really underscore the power of this strategy, which very few people utilize. And I don't think it's appreciated as much. We have. We have been use, using this strategy now. Uh, the first one we ever did was what year? Back Linda? in 1990. 1990 mm-hmm. was the first one. We have been doing that. But the reason they're not so popular amongst people is that they don't leave the client in total control of the money. We do it in such a way that the client yes. is always left in control. He never gives up control. And that is the most powerful thing. That's right. So let's take a uh, I want to take Mark's call right now. Mark's on hold and then we'll come back and we may touch a little bit more on this type of uh, this type of strategy. Sounds good, Doug. Hello Mark, this is Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner. Are you there, Mark? I don't know if we lost him or not. It looks like he's on hold. Mark, are you there? Can you hear us? Yes. Hi, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner, Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner. How can we help you this evening? I've got a question about, I guess, the population that is approaching or either has reached the age to be able to draw Social Security. Uh It seems like about every issue or edition of the Wall Street Journal and other financial magazines or uh, bulletins seem to include uh, some sort of opinion about putting that off. Uh, as long as you can, and getting eight percent a year, uh, and you know, have your uh, amount of your check go up by that much. Right, right. And it, you know, some of us may be fortunate enough to reach an advanced uh, older age, and you know, some may not. Uh, I was just kind of wondering what your thoughts were on counterbalancing that kind of thing, and. Um, I'll listen and take your answer uh, off the air. 
All right. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, no problem. Of course, if you're still on the line, I would ask you how much you paid for that advice that you got from the Wall Street Journal. I think it was only 60 bucks a year or something like that. <laughs> well, probably yeah, double that yeah. now. But <laughs> okay. 65 cents a copy. Okay. All right. Well, you got your money's worth because that's about how much I value that, that type of advice. There is no such thing as a general advice about everybody. That's like saying one pair of suit pants fits everybody in the United States who's a male or a female. I mean, it's nonsense. No, there are some clients of mine which we go ahead and say, take your Social Security as soon as you can when you're 62 years old and you can actually invest that money in your mutual funds. If your mutual funds have averaged 8% a year for the last eight or nine years, and I say, if they have, then you could play the game that way and invest the money that way and do much better than just delaying it as the, uh, the, the, the suggestion that you said that the Wall Street Journal has. And then by the same token, there are other people that we say, oh, absolutely, go ahead and leave it. Leave it there until you're 66 or until you're 70. There is no one case or set of advice at all. But if you have a, uh, Mark, do me a favor. Do you have a pen near you? Yes, I do. Okay. Write down this number, 919-872-7000. You got that? 919-872-7000. And also write down our website, dougandlinda.com. And uh, when we finish this call, if you'd like to come on in and schedule a meeting, call that 872-7000 number, and we will meet with you face-to-face and find out what is best for you. Very good. Thank you for calling, Mark. I hope you enjoyed the show. Very good. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Have a great week, Mark. (laughs) You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you for joining us. And if you've got a question, call us on the open line at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-WPTF. Well... Doug, Deborah, many retirees seek to freeze up home equity by downsizing or relocating to a cheaper area. But if the savings don't amount to much or you want to stay put, then folks should consider a reverse mortgage. Reverse mortgages allow people that are ages 62 and older to convert their home equity into cash. But instead of the homeowner Writing a check to the bank each month, the bank pays the homeowner. The loan, then, when the loan is due with interest, when the borrower dies or he moves or sells the house. The fees on these loans have declined in recent years, transforming them from a product with a bad reputation to a viable source of money. What else should people know about reverse mortgages? Well, yeah, I think we have to go, come back to the basics. I, I think they are an outstanding financial planning tool, especially for people who are, uh, I used to say land-rich, cash-poor. Here we're talking about people who are home-rich, cash-poor. So if we come back to what is a reverse mortgage loan, it was created over 25 years ago by act of Congress, to help Americans age 62 and older convert a portion of their home equity into a tax-free income stream. The bank is paying you tax-free cash flow 
for the rest of your life if you want it. You don't pay monthly principal and interest as long as you live in the home. You pay off the loan typically, or the loan is paid off, only after the second spouse's death. So when the last borrower or eligible non-borrowing spouse leaves the home, that's when what the bank was paying you is due. And Doug, you can pretty much estimate that you'll be applying for about 60% of your home's value. So if you have a zero mortgage, you would probably be able to get about 60% of your home's equity. Right. The loan amount will come to you as a monthly check for either a fixed term of years, number of years, or for the rest of your lives. And the amount you receive is based on the age of the borrower. So let's say you're 65, uh, you're going to get less than if you were 75 and applying for the home, uh, the reverse mortgage loan. Yeah, so if you're looking for another source of income, or maybe you're an adult child trying to find a way to help your parents stay in their home as long as possible, this may be a solution. And, and a quite creative one. I like it very much. I've used it in the past for clients. Uh, of course, you don't want to try this on your own. You need to consult with a certified financial planner like myself or like Deborah, and find out how this might really benefit your situation. How much money could you get as an income stream from the home that you already own, that you already live in, you want to stay in? You know what I really like about the reverse mortgage loan is that it's almost like a pension-like stream of income. And it's this income stream that you can create from the equity of your home that could supplement Social Security income, just like our caller before asked, or could reduce the amount of money that you need to withdraw from monthly from your investments as monthly income. The more sources of income that you can have that are not taking withdrawals from either pre-retirement investment portfolios or after-tax retirement portfolios, you know, personal or IRA portfolios, that's less money that you have to take out of those portfolios. What we have seen through the years very often are elderly clients who they know that they that a whole bunch of what they've accumulated is tied up in the value of their home. Right. But it's a hard decision to sell the home. Right. This lets you stay in the home, live in the home, don't make the decision, and turn the home into a pension paying you right. a check, and you never have to pay it back as long as you're alive. As recently as Friday when we were investigating this for someone else, we found that someone could receive uh, an income stream of between uh, 1900 and uh, I think it was like $50. No, it was one. $1,700 to $2,000 a month, depending on the variables on how they got this reverse mortgage loan. I think that was for a $500,000 home and a 65-year-old client, I think it was. Right. Turned out to be a little bit under 2000 a month for right, life. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So these are very, very useful. But there are other questions, there right, There really Deborah? are. And there's, there's stuff that might be on your mind when you hear reverse uh, mortgage loans. Here's some questions you might have. Like, for example, does the bank own your home? No. Reverse mortgage borrowers retain ownership and the loan is secured by a lien on the home. You don't give up the title. You don't give up ownership you're actually borrowing against the value of the home. Well, what if the loan amount ends up more than the value of the home? Who will be responsible for the loan? Well, these reverse mortgages, they're non-recourse loans. So if somehow the loan balance ends up, meaning let's say you lived a very, very long time mm -hmm. and bank just kept paying and paying, and then your wife lived even longer and banks kept paying and paying. And then at the end, 
what came to you was more than the value of the home, then the bank cannot collect any more than the value of the home. That's good. They, they take the home. Now, what if you're a child and you're helping care for an elderly parent who wants to stay in their home? What if your question is, well, what happens to the family home? Well, that's nice also because the borrowers may leave the home to a loved one in their will, just like they normally would, and then it's up to the heirs. The heirs can go ahead and choose to sell the home, paying off the bank, or keep it and pay the bank on their own. So it's totally up to the heirs afterwards. So there's not even a loss of losing the family home place if they wanted to keep it. Decision is totally up to the heirs, and mom and pop got to go ahead and turn it into a pension for as long as nice. they live. Nice. Really, really nice. Now, how do the kids repay the loan, or how do the parents repay the loan, and how much will they owe? Well, the loan is repaid once the last borrower has left the home. If the home is sold, and we've had that happen. I remember we had one happen mm -hmm. back, Linda, must have been about 15 years ago. She eventually left the home. She had one of these more uh, reverse mortgages set up. Yeah, and she, she left wanted, the home. I think she wanted to replace some carpet or a roof, right? So uh, it, that money was invaluable at the time. And then later, when she wanted to pay it off and move out of the home, how did that happen? Well, she gave the choice to the bank. Oh. She gave the choice to the bank. The bank went ahead and sold the house, and whatever is left over uh, went back to her. Okay. Now, what happens if your parents leave their home before receiving their full reverse mortgage loan? Let's say the opposite. They don't stay in the home very long at all. Okay, so then any part of the loan that hasn't yet been paid out as equity in the home and becomes part of the estate... The reverse mortgage loan becomes due. The heirs are given a reasonable time to either sell the home or keep the home. They also can keep the home by paying off the mortgage amount. Otherwise, the bank sells the home. Proceeds first go to paying off the reverse mortgage, and the balance goes to the estate. So it seems like a really uh, viable option to create an income stream from something that you have, that you own, that is usually a big part of um, your wealth, and uh, not have it tied up and be able to use that equity for the rest of your life. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you've got a question, call us on the open line at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Well, Doug, you know, w there are some people who have speculated that President Trump will eliminate capital gains taxes. Do, do you think that's true? What are your thoughts on this upcoming administration's view on capital gains taxes? Well, of course, I'm not a gambler, so I'm not going to make a bet anyway. But I do believe we will have a tax reform act for sure. I know that uh, Mr. Trump has his proposed uh, effects, how much he wants to reduce the, but the, what we're talking about is reduction of income tax, not capital gains tax. Uh -huh. Yeah. So these are two different stories here. And I, uh, at one time I know Mr. Ryan did go ahead and include something that he would like to get rid of the uh, capital gains tax. I'm believing that Mr. Trump will probably get his way. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and and so I wouldn't make I wouldn't make your financial decisions based upon what you think is going to happen with taxes. That's what we call letting the tax tail wag the dog. 
I mean, we are comprehensive financial planners. That's what we do. We look at taxes. We look at your investments. We have all kinds of arrows in our quiver, such as the charitable trust, such as the reverse annuity mortgage. We have all of these in our quiver, but we still customize something for you. And the one thing about you is you have your goals and your case study, which is very different from everybody else's. That's right. And, you know, it's interesting when you bring up the distinction between the two taxes, income taxes and capital gains taxes, is that the whole world of taxes, taxation will always be up for debate because there will always be change. Every year we have the, op- the, the possibility of a new tax law. But comprehensive financial planning takes that into consideration. We're never locked into one answer or one strategy. It's much more thinking of long-term financial planning. That's right. And it's important, isn't it, Doug and Deborah, to have a proper asset allocation. No matter what's happening in the market, you want to make sure that wherever your investments are, that you have a comfortable understanding of where they should be and what a proper asset allocation is so that you protect yourself for the long run. Right. And and you know what? Let's let's dig into that deeper next week. I know um, that is a good question that comes up frequently enough. And we will absolutely we'll 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 uh, cover that a little more in depth than just just agreeing with you, Linda. Comprehensive financial planning is what we do at Lewis Financial Management LLC. Call us during the week. Our number is nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine USA seven thousand. Visit our website at dougandlinda.com. And if you come in for an appointment, we will give you one of three books. Uh, Wealthy Barber or Middle Class Millionaire. And uh, what was the third one, Deborah? Um, inve- Simple Wealth, Inevitable, Inevitable Wealth. There you go. Nick Murray's book. Go. Yeah. One of my favorite books. Yeah. I, know, I know the author. I'd like to do another case study. Let's, okay. let's do another case study. Sure. All right. There is another case study, um, a made-up name, but um, Jeff's case study, and he is 85 years old, a widower. He is ready to do his estate planning. His assets include an IRA worth about a worth million dollars, and he has a personal investment portfolio worth five point five million. Joel uh, Jeff's only heir is his daughter. Huh, interesting. This one's been married three times also. (laughs) (laughs) So Jan, his only heir, is currently 65. And Jeff wants to provide an income stream to Jan from his IRA. But he's concerned about Jan and her third husband's ability to preserve the inheritance if they were had ready access to the IRA balance after Jeff's death. So, what are the facts? Well, let's see. Jeff... Is, um, is the only living parent, so he's the widower, he's 85, he has an IRA of a million dollars, he has a personal investment portfolio worth five and a half million, and he has one heir, Jan. And she's 65 years old. That's right. So what is his goal? His goal is he would like to provide an income stream to his daughter. He'd like to make her the recipient of that IRA, but he's concerned that if she were to just inherit it outright, couple things. She might not be able to um, not de- not spend it all. So he's concerned about her just inheriting it and spending it. He's also concerned that if she inherited it and had to immediately liquidate it, 
she'd have to she'd lose about four hundred and sixty thousand in taxes. And if he died and she inherited, she'd still lose about four hundred and sixty thousand in taxes because this is untaxed income. Now, so um So I guess his biggest concern is what would happen if uh if if she was she had she inherited this outright. Well, we know what's going to happen. It's going to be a huge, two things going to happen. Number one is over, like you say, over $460,000 of taxes on just that million dollar IRA. So that only leaves about five and a half million left. And number two, it's at the uh, danger of the first husband, uh, the third husband, excuse me, uh, that may have financial issues. And he'd like to solve both of those. So I know what I'm going to do in this case. All right. What are you going to do, Doug? I'm going to go ahead and change the beneficiary of that IRA from Jan to a charitable remainder trust for Jan. So now the total million dollar IRA will go into this charitable trust tax free and then start paying Jan immediately for the rest of her life on the entire million dollar portfolio. Well, that's fantastic because immediately she has, instead of uh, $540,000 available to become out as income, she has the whole million of her lifetime. But also, income from the, ta- the trust is going to be different than ordinary income. Absolutely. So the taxation will be less and she doesn't have to pay the capital gains tax. I'm so, sorry, the ordinary income tax. The ordinary income tax. Well, so if we then put a couple of assumptions here. Okay. Let's put a 7% payout on this charitable trust. That's uh-huh. one assumption. Uh-huh. And let's have the investments grow at 8% okay. over her life. That's a second assumption. We will also make her the trustee where she controls everything herself. Nice. Over her lifetime, she will get a little bit more than a million and a half. Wow. At her death, there'll be about a million and a quarter that'll go to a foundation to benefit charities in the name of her father, Jeff, perpetually. Wow. Again, solving the problem of what do you do with a, a, a child who you don't want to inherit an IRA outright? Create a spendthrift trust inside a charitable remainder trust. Well, you know what we can also do? We can have her children... This is Jan's children Mm -hmm. be the advisors to that family foundation. And, of course, that means they'll get 50-yard line seats. (laughs) (laughs) If they give to a school that has a football team. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, the bigger thing here is we wanted to bring up some of the more creative strategies that are available to you. When you start working with a certified financial planner, you learn that everything is integrated. Taxes. Uh, retirement plans, retirement planning, uh, taking care of your children, estate planning. All of these concerns become intertwined. And as you age, you're at different stages in the game. You'll have different concerns. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. And Doug, Deborah, what else is new well, in the world of retirement planning? Well, there are some questions that we have tonight. One is, does the provision that allows required IRA distributions to go directly to charity 
tax-free, also apply to inherited IRAs. The IRA that my wife inherited from my mother is subject to required minimum distributions, even though my wife is only 59. The answer is that only taxpayers 70 and a half and older can make these tax-free direct uh, donations. Until she reaches that age, the wife is going to need to take her RMDs and include them in her taxable income. If she contributes the payout to charity, she can write it off as a charitable contribution, assuming that she itemizes, but she's too young to do that direct charitable contribution. Okay. What about IRA um, payouts for down payments on homes. This gentleman writes, I am 61 and withdrawing from an IRA to put cash down on a house. Since I haven't owned a home for 10 years, I know there will be no penalty on the withdrawal. But is there a way I can avoid paying tax on the payout since it will be used to buy a home? No, there would be no penalty, no matter what he does with the distribution, because he's older than 59 and a half. Mm-hmm. The early withdrawal penalty and the waiver of it on up to $10,000 for first-time home buyers that he's referring to, that only matters for younger IRA owners. Regardless of what he does with the money, he's still going to have to include it in his taxable income. There is no special break for using it to buy a house. Okay. Well, that gives us a lot of help. Now, Doug, what about this uh, situation in regard to tax basis? A writer writes in, my father, who is in his 90s, has some stock he purchased as far back as the 1950s. At some point in the future, as the executor of his estate, How will I ever be able to determine the basis for this stock and the corresponding tax owed? Well, believe it or not, the tax law actually makes your upcoming task an easy one. When the owner of appreciated property dies, the tax basis of the asset is stepped up to the date of death value. That effectively makes tax-free all appreciation up to that point. As executive of the estate... Your job's going to be to pinpoint the date of death value. If the value of the stocks rise after that, the difference will be long-term capital gain, regardless of how long the heir has owned the stock. If the value falls, the seller will have a tax-saving capital loss. But I would say none of this is true for IRAs. Well, very good. Thank you, Doug. I'm sure if this is your question, you're going to want to know, where do you call? Where do you go this week as you're thinking of your own questions? Give us a call at Lewis Financial Management this week. Our number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. And this is what we have been doing at Lewis Financial Management for the last 34 years. Well, you know, I hear the music, but I wouldn't mind doing a quick little recap of what we've covered tonight so that folks can go ahead and consider whether they want to call us. We've answered questions about investments. We've answered questions about IRA basis. We've had some case studies tonight about using the charitable trust as a beneficiary of an IRA to avoid all taxes on an IRA when there is no longer a spouse. We gave some tax tips tonight. Uh, and we have covered, uh, what else did we cover tonight? Reverse mortgages. Oh, the reverse mortgage is wonderful and social subject. security. So we want to remind all our listeners that your money matters because your financial future is at stake. We want to remind you to call us at the office, 919 
872-7000 and we will meet with you to solve all of your money matters. been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WP. ETF.